Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. And whether you're just getting up and tuned in or you're following us from our network version of the Outdoor Show, welcome aboard. We continue to take your text. i got a good little text message going here on gumbo selection. If you got a favorite gumbo, we'd like to hear from you. 870-870. Got a fishing report, duck hunting, a deer report. We'd love to hear from you. And if you got a comment or question, we welcome you to text us at 870-870. We also will take phone calls at 504 260 Six, eight. Here's the schedule for this morning's program. Uh, coming up after our next break, we're going to be joined by duck hunter Jeff Foyles. Uh, Jeff is an Illinois resident uh, right close to across the river from Missouri. Uh, he is going to give us his perspective on what a lot of folks down here in the south have been commenting on, and I'm talking about the agricultural practices that are being employed in the northern reaches of our flyway, which a lot of people believe in this a lot of empirical evidence and some statistical evidence that shows that it is having a negative impact on our waterfowl migration. And just to put it in perspective, this weekend, uh, I've been getting inundated with good reports uh, from all over that a lot of ducks arrived on this front. Now, that's not unusual, but we've had fronts where ducks don't arrive. And the theory is that these ducks, because they've got food, and open water north of the flyway, they don't migrate. We don't ever see them. This year could be very different. Uh, they had a high river. A lot of places were underwater. Couldn't get their planting done. So consequently, the food source is not going to be there. And when the ducks find that, they're on the move. They, we have not had any really severe fronts. I mean, it's been a little stiff front, some wind. Temperatures have been at the very lowest, the high 30s, haven't had a freeze some areas had a little bit of a frost, but I am getting uh, better duck reports than I think we had all last year and just on this youth weekend. So we'll see how that turns out, but it be interesting to hear uh, Jeff's perspective on what's going on up the flyway, what he sees uh, being a resident up there. Uh, then we're going to be uh, tuned in and, and talking to candidate for Governor Eddie Rispone. He's going to join us at 730 two weeks ago. On Louisiana Election Day, we opened up our phone lines and our text message board, and we asked you this question, what were the most concerning and and burning issues uh, facing Louisiana's outdoorsmen? And with that in mind, what do we need to do with the direction of our Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fishery to make improvements, to make changes? And if you could ask the governor what he would do, what would it be? Uh, We got a very good response. We did it for two hours. Uh, I posted a link to that program, uh, actually sent it to the two runoff candidates, Eddie Rispone and Governor Edwin Edwards. Edwin, I'm sorry, that's a slip there, J.B. Edwards, and asked them to listen to what their voters and their constituents' concerns were and then be prepared today to address those. If what are you, What are you promising to do? What is your plan to address the shortcomings that the sportsmen see? Uh, I got an immediate response, positive response from Eddie Rispone. He's going to be with us at 7.30. Unfortunately, I've got nothing but crickets from the office of uh, Governor John Bell Edwards. Now, I've got my own opinion on why he chose not to accept, not to decline, but to ignore. And I'm not going to influence your decision. 
Uh, I'm just telling you what the situation is, and I will leave it up to you to draw your own conclusion as to why he totally ignored this opportunity to get in front of a large audience of constituents, of voters, of people uh, who he will be in charge of managing the, the biggest uh, agency in the state with regard to managing and protecting our natural resources, the Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries, and chose not to do it. Maybe he's somewhere else, but, you know, a, a reply declining and saying, I'm going to be on the road, I'm going to be traveling or whatever. I got state business to take care of, but instead, nothing. You draw your own conclusion to that. That's going to be at 7.30. We will hear from uh, candidate Eddie Rispone. Uh, then at 8 o'clock, something that's coming up. We've got the youth waterfowl this weekend. Uh, then on the next three consecutive Saturdays, all three of our Louisiana waterfowl duck hunting zones, goose season's open, but duck hunting will open in the coastal, the west, and then the east. Um, and it's a time when it's you got to remember, check all your gear. Uh, duck hunting can be dangerous. Uh, it's done uh, in pre-dawn darkness. It's done under some of the worst weather conditions. Uh, when the weather's like that, fishermen stay home. But when the weather's got a lot of winds blowing, particularly north and northwest wind, uh, that's when duck hunters want to be out there when the birds are on the move. Paul Bernard with the U.S. Coast Guard is going to join us. He put together some advice and tips uh, for, for duck hunters to be careful in things that they should do. So we're going to go ahead and uh, get him on. Also, uh, a man who uh, was actually rescued by a helicopter, he was stranded in the marsh, is going to tell us from his perspective what that is like. And uh should be very interesting. That's coming up in the 8 o'clock hour. So if we have time for calls with uh, candidate Rispone, We'll do that, but uh, we're going to get him to pick it up and just kind of tell us what he thinks he needs to be done. I will probably ask some of those questions, that the, the major ones where I had many people all wanting answers to the same concerns. I'll pass those along to him. And then if we have any time at the end, we'll let you get in if we missed anything that you think needs to be done. We're also taking uh, having a little fun this morning on a gumbo kind of morning. Uh, someone said that uh, this is a text. Tell that texter that red gravy gumbo is called sauce piquant. <laughs> yes, it is. All right. Uh, I guess you can say that's what it is. And then we have, uh, oh, someone said I can taste the Prejean's pheasant andouille gumbo. Pheasant makes a good gumbo, by the way, at the Jazz Fest. They're there every year, and usually that is that person's very first stop. All right. I think I got another text here. Uh, let's see. This one says, oh, my God. You should see the ducks, big groups flying everywhere you look, even mallards right northwest of White Lake. And the good duck reports coming in from a lot of different areas. All right, we'll be right back after this, and we're going to be joined by our first guest. Uh, Jeff Foyles is going to talk to us. He's uh, probably out there hunting up there in the Illinois, Missouri area. He's going to tell us what he sees as far as changed agricultural practices and what his impression is on its effect on the fall and winter migration southward. Back with that, you're listening to More Outdoors on WWL FM 105.3 HD2, and we live stream at DonTheOutdoorsGuy.com as well as Radio.com. We're back in a minute. And, boy, I'm pleasantly surprised by the number of text messages that are coming in uh, reporting uh, big numbers of ducks coming into Louisiana ahead of this front. Probably the best report I've had, you know, last year, week after week, we went out to duck blinds, we talked to hunters, we recapped the season, 
terrible season. In fact, it was the worst duck season in recorded history for Louisiana, which brought up a lot of discussion, which is going to lead us into our next guest. But this year looks a little different. I wonder what the reason for that may be so early in the season. Uh, Hopefully you've had a chance to go to my website, DonTheOutdoorsGuy.com. On the front of the homepage, center stage, there is about a 30-minute video says, Where are the ducks? The real answer. And I really hope if you haven't done it, you take the time when you've got some time to watch that. It's no longer than your average television show, but it is chock full of some vital information that I think a lot of people in Louisiana, Texas, Mississippi, Alabama are not hearing. And it brings it raises some very important questions, and there's a lot of research and, and data analysis that went into that, and uh, it's a very uh, – Good question to ask. Anyway, if you have seen it, then that will put in perspective this next guest that's going to join us. Talking about Jeff Foyles, he joins us now by way of Illinois. Jeff, uh, where are you hunting today? I know you do a little bit of traveling. Where exactly are you today? (laughs) I'm in Texas, (laughs) and uh, I'm not hunting today. I took took a couple days off. I'm a NASCAR guy, and I come down uh, to watch NASCAR race in Texas. Oh, that's right. You told me that. Yeah, well, congratulations to you. I hope you all have a good day down there. What are you yeah, hearing from Texas people? Did you get to chat with anybody in Texas about the ducks that are there so far? Yeah, my good friend down here that's a, actually he's the president of the Texas Motor Speedway. He's a duck hunter down here, and they're kind of seeing the same thing as you guys are. Probably not as bad, but, yeah, they are kind of got the same thing, a lot, lack of ducks. And I've seen three ducks in a couple of days down here is all I've seen around here. They're probably local ones. <laughs> But, uh, mm, yeah. yeah, they're kind of experiencing the same thing that you guys are. Well, Jeff, tell me a little bit about your background as a duck hunter. How long have you been duck hunting, and what areas of the country have you hunted? Well, you've got me telling my age now. I started out with six years old. I'm six, 62 right now, so about, you know, 56 years. So I've been doing it quite a while. So I always said to the guy, that blind uh, hog will find an acre sometime, you know. So, uh <laughs> So you learn a little bit and all them, you know, on all those years. But most of us been. Uh, I grew up, you know, on the Mississippi River up in uh, Illinois, and uh, I live right between the Illinois and the Mississippi, and uh, kind of on an island. And uh, we're the ones that got flooded really, really bad last year, and that happens quite often with us. But it's a major part of the flyway is right there where I live, with uh, a lot of refuges around and uh, a lot of ducks in the area. It always has been that way. But there's been a lot of changes over the past few years. But, uh, yeah, that's where well, I'm Well, tell me about I've, those you know, changes. Travel over the country. But, uh, uh, well, a lot of, lots of what's happened is we have within probably, and I'd say within a 60-mile 80-mile radius, we have several, several refuges, a whole several hundred thousand ducks. Uh, Three federal refuges real close to us. Um, Then one federal, it's a Clarence Cannon Dam, uh, Manada, Missouri, which is right on the Mississippi, uh, right across from where I live. And uh, it holds, I've seen as high as uh, numbers of 220,000 and, you know, anywhere from 150 to 220,000, you know, when it's at peak. Right across from it, the way the duck flies, probably, oh, six miles right straight across the Swan Lake on the Illinois side. And that one right there is uh, probably holds around the same amount of ducks. So there we're talking 400,000. And north of that is one called Del Air Refuge, where my duck club was for years. And um, 
that one there probably holds thirty to fifty thousand at times. Um, north of that's one on the Missouri side of State Refuge, which they plant a lot of corn in, uh, several hundred acres of corn when when it doesn't get flooded. And that one there probably holds fifty, sixty thousand ducks in it. Um, south of that, St. Louis down the St. Louis area, south of the Clarence Cannon is one of BK Leach. It may hold twenty thousand. And across from it is several, like uh, let's say the Bush, you know, the Bush family, and uh, a lot of different ones down there. The private clubs have have private refuges, a whole lot of ducks, uh, along with on the Illinois side above us. And uh, there's another one on the Illinois side right above the Swan Lake, uh, the Godar Diamond Refuge, and it, it'll hold sometimes from fifteen to thirty thousand. You know, so so if you can start, you know, and I'm not counting all these little private private refuges on top of it that they do aerial counts. So this is not my count. This comes aerial counts that we get weekly during season, you know, from, uh, you know, that comes out through the fish and wildlife. So there is a well, lot I, of ducks in this small little area. Yes, indeed, there are. And I don't think anyone would doubt that because of what's going on. When you got corn flooded with water, you're certainly going to get ducks. But the big question is, what do you see as far as how long they stay there? Well, late it, into the year. Here's what here's what happens. What most people don't understand. A lot of people in the United States don't do this. I've traveled all over the country, and we're probably the number one place of doing this. And I'm not counting. I'm just talking in a small radius. I'm not talking all the other refugees around Missouri and Illinois. But right here, what if there is a? Somebody told me there's 98 miles of it, but of that 98 miles on the Missouri side. There's probably, I know of 50 miles that is solid, side-by-side, flooded corn, duck clubs all the way up through there, which is on every side of this refuge. And then they scatter for the rest of those miles. And when I scatter, it'll be there sparse. So one here, one there, and skip a farm, then there's another one. And then the Illinois side, we're not even counting that. We're not counting the Illinois side, you know, where a lot of public clubs. Like, I had one myself, you know. I had one of these... Uh, Clubs myself with 140 acres of flooded corn, you know, so I know what it, you know what it does, and I've hunted several of them. And uh, it's cl- and if you're good, if you're good at it, you build your levees and everything where you can flood this corn, and you pick out the right corn where the corns are hanging, right the ears are right in the water, and uh, you flood that right up to it. And it's just, uh, well, it's legal baiting. You know, I mean, it's better than baiting, I always say, because you've got a stalk holding that corn right at water levels like a buffet so um so yeah you talk about moving they don't so why would a duck move you know there's a you know there's a lot of debate about that but in all honesty he's not going to move up here until that thing is ate out it freezes up where he can't get to it then as long as that mississippi river's open he's not going to leave he's got water out there plus all these are aerated you know all these uh a lot of these places are aerated or have pumps running in that keeps the water circulating, keeps the water moving, you know. So um, these ducks don't leave. They don't have no reason to leave, you know. And, to, and But for us, where I live, the worst thing that happens for us is what's changed is, you know, it's a good thing for where I live that they don't move, but they stay there. But um, you can't kill them. They come out unless it's a major weather change. And when I talk about that, I'm talking snow, rain, wind, anything like that. Then they'll get up and move around during the day. But what happens is it turn, it's turned them all nocturnal. 
So they figured this out, that if we go into this flooded corn during the day, we're going to get shot. Well, they come in at nighttime. A duck's going to roost in water. He's not going to roost on land. He's going to roost in water at night. So waterfowl. So he's going to water. So now he's got water, and he's got a buffet. He swims around, gets all the corn he wants. Nobody bothers him. And, hey, about 5 o'clock or 5.30, there's going to be some boys rolling out. Here's going to shoot us. We're getting out of here. So we got shot yesterday, so we're going to get out now about 3.34 in the morning. So now they get programmed to, hey, if we go in at 5 o'clock at night, nobody shoots us, and, and uh, we can get back, you know, get back out at 3.34 in the morning. We'll set in the refuge all day. And it's easy. You can see it all. I mean, that's, and, that's, and that is the normal, you know, what happened. And it's even getting hard. I mean, I'm not saying you're not going to get your stragglers with that many ducks, you know, and kill some. But it's even getting hard for these guys to kill them in the flooded corn, you know. So, in my opinion, this this whole flooded corn thing has totally changed everything about it from the way a duck moves, uh, the way a duck moves through the, uh, you know, in, in, in the daylight areas and all that's turning nocturnal. Plus, it keeps him there a long time, you know. And so people wonder why there's not a migration. And the big argument, you know, the guys that own flooded corn will say is, you know, is weather and weather will change. And it will. We all know that weather moves ducks. But they're not going to move unless they absolutely have to, and there's nothing because there's nothing to eat. So, mm-hmm. and whether we'll move them, you know, like geese, you know, geese will stay longer than a duck will anywhere. But uh, till that ground gets to where they either get froze out in the refuge, froze out wherever their safe place is at nighttime, or they run out of food. So if, well, from that sense, corn, they've got to go out and be natural, and they've got to go out to a field and find that corn, you know. So yeah. Well, f- anyway, well, from that sense, like, they're, 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 yeah. Well, from that sense, they're correct in saying it's weather related, <laughs> but it's not just mild weather or even significant weather. It's immense, hard blizzard type weather that would take them to move out of there. Well, have you had and a chance this year to observe? Yeah. Well, if that ever happens. It, have you had a chance to observe this year how much of it has not been able to be put in corn because of the flood situation that occurred up in the spring and summer? Right. Well, lot, we had such a flood here. It was, you know, probably second worst since 1993, which was terrible up in our area. And it broke every levee, flooded everything. I mean, I, I live right in the middle of it. It was a disaster. And so the only thing these boys got planted, most of these, I'm going to say the majority, say 90% of them got planted, was some millet and the air-seeded millet in, and uh, after the flood went down and all that. And, and that stuff, you know, as soon as, soon as the first frost goes on, that stuff, you know, and which we've already had, it falls over, you know, in the field and way you go. You know, it's about done. It don't take them long to eat that out. But, uh, no, we don't have that corn. So I'll give you an example. We came in uh, last Saturday is when our season came in in my area. And um, we've already – I missed the best duck day, uh, day before yesterday, <laughs> when we had, we had a little uh, skit of snow right here. We had, we had ducks everywhere. Everybody, everybody in the area killed them. Last Sunday they killed them. Monday they killed them. I mean, they kill every. We've been killing them every day. That's and one reason I booked this trip to Texas every year at this time is because we never have any ducks right now. Then you can't kill them right now. So I just go ahead and book this trip, you know. So yeah, and I missed <laughs> best days on Thursday, but. Uh, Long story short, yeah, I think I've said it all along. Now what? Now what has to happen is, where are those dis, where are those ducks going to feed? 
they're not going to sit in there all night and eat millet. You know, that's not enough carbs for them when the weather gets tough. So they're going to go out. They've got to go out now and be a natural duck and go out and find your feed. You know, they've got to get out. And when they do that, you're going to kill them. And when they eat yeah. that out, they're going to move on. They're coming your way. Well, so, this should be a good test year then, and, and maybe this will, will provide some uh, some light on the subject, and we'll see that, you know, especially if we have a mild winter and a pretty dry winter and we get a great duck mm-hmm. season down here. Uh, I don't know right. what other evidence people would need to see its impact. But, Jeff, well, we're just about ask, out of time. Go ahead, real quick. I want to ask a quick question for for the people out there, Cesar. You know, I've said this to a federal ward before, you know, I, I, you know, baiting is throwing corn out in the water, do whatever, I guess, you know, or corn on the ground or whatever, or, or not even corn. It could be rice or flood rice, whatever it is, beans, whatever. What is the difference if I purposely build levees, purposely leave corn in there, and purposely flood it to the ears or the rice or the beans, whatever? To me, that's legal baiting. But it's better because it holds it up where the duck can get it. A mallard's not going to die three foot to go get you know, to get corn to sunk to the bottom. You know, he doesn't feed like that, you know. But if you right. can have it and right it's not going to sour. Get it. So yeah. just, exactly, it's sour. They're not going to, so tell me that this isn't legal baiting, you know. So. Got it. Jeff, thanks for your perspective. Is, is we really maybe, appreciate it. Go ahead. Yes. All right, ma'am, I sure do uh, appreciate it, and I'm going to go to the races this morning. <laughs> go do that, and we'll get you back on another show for sure, and give us an update on as we get into the season as it progresses. Thanks All again, All right, Jeff. man. Thank you. Right. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, right after this break, uh, we're going to be talking to uh, gubernatorial candidate Eddie Rispone. We're going to be getting him to talk about Wildlife and Fisheries Department, how we would use that state agency, what changes he might make, what to some of the big issues of concern to sportsmen, what are his plans to address those? We'll be right back after this timeout. You're listening to More Outdoors. I'm Don Dubuque. Good Saturday morning. And welcome back. A couple of weeks ago on Election Day, we uh, spent two hours taking your text messages and phone calls about your concern for the outdoor resources of the state of Louisiana and what you think the direction the Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries should take under our next governor. Uh, we forwarded that information to the two governor's candidates for in the runoff. Uh, one of them has responded, Eddie Rispone, who joins us now. The other did not respond, so I'll leave you to draw your own conclusions as to the reason for not declining, accepting, or even acknowledging the fact that he was invited. But that's another subject for another day. Eddie, thank you for coming on. Welcome to the show, and congratulations on qualifying for the runoff for the governor of Louisiana. Thank you, Don. It's good to be here, man. I appreciate it. And I appreciate you uh, reminding all of our sportsmen that early voting starts today, man. We don't want to vote all this week so we don't have to miss a duck hunt or a deer hunt or a squirrel hunt come on the 16th. You know, it's very, very important. And I, I will be I will be in that number. I will be in that. <laughs> yes, yeah. sir. Eddie, thanks for taking the time to, to talk with us. Um, I'm going to go ahead and just kind of open it up for you. I know you've been around talking to people all over the state. You've been hearing a lot of concerns. You know what the listeners of this program have said. If you would identify what you see to be the really big issues that people are concerned with, and what are your plans to address them should you take a hold of the governor's office? Uh, one thing, Don, and I've said this all over the state, you know, as governor, I'm going to go out and get the most talented people I possibly can find for all the agencies. And, and I, and I use the, the, uh, the wildlife and fishery department as agency as one of them. I mean, we, the governor appointed a politician to start with Melanson, who probably didn't know that much about anything, 
particularly outdoors and finance and running a business. And it was a disaster. So that was a political move. And, and I promised people I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to find the best talented person I possibly can find for that agency. He's going to be an outdoorsman. He's going to have some business sense so he can do the right thing. We're going to, we're going to install the Louisiana checkbook. So we know where we're spending money, not just for the wildlife fishery, for everywhere to make sure we prioritize in our dollars and cents and getting the best we can for it. And we're going to know whether agency is underfunded or overfunded in, in the respect that it's wasting dollars and cents. And that's what we're going to do. I'm going to have people that have the background for it. They're going to have a business sense. They're going to be leaders. They're going to be able to work with different diverse talents within those agencies from whether in our case, you got biologists and, and, and you have in law enforcement, you have all of these things research. So it's going to take somebody of a talent and that's what I'm going to reach out and do. And then from a legislative standpoint, you know, that's going to be the administration's responsibility. We're going to work with these talented people, no matter what the agency, and let's talk about wildlife and fishery. And they're going to come to us and say, you know, Governor, we need to do this and this and this so we can operate better. We can get better funding. And then we, I'm going to put the team together to go get that legislation done. So we're not going to have to have a politician, so to speak, because I've had people say, well, they got to know, you know, the political process. It's good that they've been a politician before a legislator. You know, I'm going to concentrate more on the talent to make the thing run right, work with the talent within that agency and get things done. And they're going to have to have some, you know, obviously some sportsman's background so they have a good sense of that, what they, you know, what really the people want, but then work with the, with our task, our staff, I should say, to get that done. You know, that's that's kind of sums it up. Uh, Eddie, any other ones that, that jumped out or would you like me to bring up some of them? Well, you know, as I traveled around, honestly, they, they, you know, they're concerned about duck hunting. That's very, very obvious. You know, it's way, way down. And you know it. I've heard you speak to it. My brothers love to duck hunt. And so there's some concern about this short stopping that's going on, and we need to address that as well. And then on the, on the speckled trout, which is something I do a lot of or did until I decided to run for governor, uh, you know, I've been talking to – uh, at least 10 years now, we have a the most generous limit in the on the Gulf Coast, 25. And I've asked over and over again, why is it eight? Why is it 10? Why is it 15? And you know, they they keep coming up well with it. the science doesn't prove that, and I think it does. I think we're starting to recognize that whether it's 100% sure that the science would prove it or not. I think we need to address the limits on. On speckled trout, I like what you said, Don. You know, we got to give the citizens, the sportsmen, the options. You know, it and go to them and say, okay, well, let's go with ten. Let's go with a different size limit. Let's let's work with that. See if that helps the stock. But the whole theme here, when it comes to wildlife management, is always put the 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 resource first. You know, that's what you have to do. And then you go back and give the citizens the option of how we can reach that, um, I guess, the plan to protect that resource. We did it with, with speckled trout. We, we need to do it with speckled trout. We did it with redfish. You know, do we want to just fish weekends to keep that quota down? Or do we want to have a, you know, just during the summer, one month or two months or whatever? You got to give them the options. And I thought that was a very good idea you had to make sure that 
we solve our problem and protect our stock, but let's give the, the citizens, the sportsmen, the option of which which way we go to protect it. Those are that's well, really I sure hope job. that happens. Yeah. Getting back to the duck situation, um, this should be labeled as a crisis. I mean, we had the worst season in recorded history last year, and that's following up on several bad years with a, a continued downward trend. And my suggestion has been for the, eight, the, the, the conservation organizations like Delta Waterfowl and Ducks Unlimited and now the Flyway Federation, the Department of Wildlife and Fisheries, maybe some of the other state waterfowl study leaders to all get together, maybe send some media people and put together a consortium of people who actually travel up there to the places that we just heard about from Jeff Falls, where this flooded corn situation is going on in both private lands and public lands, and make a definite determination. How much impact is it having on the flyway? Once and for all, get an answer. If it's zero, it's zero. If it's got 90% effect, it's 90 or 50 or 40. But people want to know, and as a lot of evidence pointed to that. Would you be in favor of something like that? Of course. And, I, you know, Don, I would even go a little further. I'd go to up to Canada where roosting and just really reanalyze, you know, how many you have. Up, this is me. I'm not a scientist, but that's what I would do. I would start at the top and, and, and obviously do an analysis all the way down to Mexico and see what's going on, where the birds are stopping and what's causing that change of our migration. And then, and then obviously, you have a, the science to go along with it and then share that with the uh, public. The transparency is so important, too, no matter what the agency is. We've got to have that transparency and address things and let the public know what's going on and figure out a better way, you know, update our, our website so we can keep them up to date on what we're doing, get their questions, answer their questions, you know, that's a routine that we should be doing all the time. But in this specific case, I agree with you. We should put a task force and work with it, but I would go all the way to Canada, you know, to the nesting side. Uh, good idea. And then research good. our way back down. Very good. Yep. Eddie, i got to take a break. When we come back, uh, another burgeoning question that has been brought up, and you're familiar with it, this private and public waterway issue that's given Louisiana so many problems. Uh, it's becoming known out of state. We've got tournaments that don't want to come here. We've got people who bring tourists out, and they get run off by people. Sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong. It's an, an issue that has to be addressed from an economic and also a cultural and heritage standpoint. I'd like for you to tell us what your plan will be to address that. When we come back, uh, Governor Candidate Eddie Responi is with us. We're back right after this. And we are talking with gubernatorial candidate Eddie Responi. I want to remind you all, early voting opens today. The election day is November the 16th. Uh, to elect a governor, we have invited uh, the governor's candidates to come with us and discuss some of the issues that sportsmen are most concerned about. Eddie, one that we got to talk about is this uh, situation with the private versus public tidal water areas. Uh, everyone knows that when they leave, um, they're not really sure whether they're breaking the law, whether the, the, the posting of the waterways and the people that are being run out is being done illegally. We're the only state in the nation that faces this problem. I understand the landowners uh, by our Napoleonic laws have protection of their own property, and I don't hold that against them. But we need a solution to this. What do you think is the best way to approach this subject to where private landowners are taken care of, but at the same time, sportsmen are not denied access to a public resource? Well, Don, let me start by saying, you know, I was one of the charter members of the GCCA years ago. 
and also been fishing the coastline for over 35 years. So I, I recognize what, what needs to be there, and I've seen the coastline disappear. And so you don't really know are you on private property or, or if it's gated. You know, the gates are gone now, so that that's causing the issue there as well. But we have a task force put together with some very good landowners as well as sportsmen that are working on that right now. And I've talked to Brett Alon, who is one of them. He owns thousands of acres, and he's very objective about it. And he feels he feels confident that they're going to come up with some good solutions, because you got liability situation, you have duck lease situation, you even have you know fishing situation uh, leases that have to be addressed. The uh, as you mentioned on your show, the Department of State, the the uh, state of lands is is remapping things so people have a better understanding of where all the, the different property lines are as well. So I'm, I'm, it would be pre-pentour for me to say exactly how it's going to turn out. But I'm, I feel pretty confident talking to Brett himself and that they're going to work something out and come up with some solutions. Then it's going to be up to my administration and the legislature to, uh, to fix it. So everyone will know what, what's there, and we can, again, protect Louisiana as a you know, as the paradise, Boston's paradise. And uh, and so it's not just the tournaments that I'm concerned with. It's, it's me. You know, when I fish the marsh, I want to make sure I'm doing what's right. But in the same token, I have to respect the landowner's responsibility. So if we have to change the laws that limit the liability. If, the, if landowners say, okay, we got it, this is what we'll do, and we change the law where the liability won't be there on them and then, and then respect them, and they're going to obviously open it up for us so that we can continue to fish without worrying about, you know, infringing on their response, their rights. So that's kind of where I'm going with that. I think we're going to fix it in 2020. As soon as they get their task force finished and make their recommendations, then the administration will sit down with them and we'll get the legislation that we need. Eddie, uh, I heard what you said about uh, selecting the secretary, which is the head of the department. I uh, also got a lot of concern about the, the makeup of the commission. And, you know, there's a lot of things that have to be done legislatively with regard to hunting and fishing laws. But one thing that is the governor's uh, choice is the makeup of that commission. He makes appointments there. How do you feel about appointing commissioners? Some people want to see them elected. Some people want some type of protocol set where they come from different areas of the state or, or different parts of the user groups. What is your thoughts on appointing commissioners to that board? It's a very important board. Yeah, and I, I tell you what, I like what you just said at the end there. Yeah, I think it's got to be geographical. It has to be background. You know, I definitely need some turkey hunters on there, good, solid. You know, people turkey hunt, they also deer hunt. You know, they do things, but really go out and reach out and get some really good turkey hunters, deer hunters, duck hunters, you know, a, you know, a commercial archerman, archer fisherman, you know, some get people that really want to protect the stock and not completely self-serving. So you have all of these experts, so to speak, on that and get a diverse group of people. You know, it's not a, uh, you know, who contributed to my campaign, who helped me get a type of deal is to do the right thing and get the diverse people that you want on there from around the state. And so they can work together with the secretary and give him some really good he or she great insight into what we need to be doing. And then share that with their, 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 I guess, sportsmen, whether it's turkey hunters, duck hunters, deer hunters, you know, fishermen, saltwater, freshwater, everybody has to have good input into that 
and what I've done in, in the industry. You know, when I was over the Workforce Investment Council, I asked the different sectors of the economy to share our decisions, reach out and get their questions and bring them to that council. And that's the same thing here, this commission. You know, you would ask the deer hunter, or, you know, it's probably going to be more than one deer hunter on it, but ask them to bring their, their concerns, bring the, their advice back to the commission so we can work with the secretary on those things and work with our legislature on those things. It's not going to be a political favoritism, political cronyism. It's going to be doing what's right for our sportsman's paradise. That's how I would approach that. Eddie, you're running as a businessman, and as a businessman, uh, you said you're going to prioritize, which is always going to be a cost-cutting measure to cut out waste, fraud, and abuse, and we know that that is rampant in in government many times. Uh, As far as funding for this agency, that is a big issue. Uh, What about needed funding? Certainly prioritizing is going to mean a better use of the funds that we do have, but how can we bring more funding in? It's a self-generated agency, which is very difficult in these days and times, and also, if you could, maybe touch on protecting dedicated funds. We had previous governors that went in there and raided conservation funds for other uses. Where do you stand on those things? Well, you know, Don, it really starts with transparency. You know, when you run your business, you you have really good books. You know where you're spending your dollars and cents. You look at your revenues. You look at expenses. You look at your prioritize where you need to be spending things to, to make it effective. You know, we passed a law back about almost two years ago, the Louisiana checkbook. And it was it shows where every dollar is spent in every state agency. And we could have gotten that done in three months for about $350,000, what I was told. But the governor decided to spend $26 million and take five years. And, and we still don't have it. Well, the first thing we're going to do is get the Louisiana checkbook done, which is where we know where every dollar is spent in every agency. So we can look at those things and make plans. We may have some agencies, and and wildlife and fishery is a good example. They may need more funding out of the general fund to be effective, whereas another one may be overfunded and have way more dollars and cents that they need and, and, and wasting dollars and cents. So as a business person, the first step is to get this Louisiana checkbook done and then see where we're spending the money, where it should be, where it should be prioritized, and then go back and work with the legislature to make sure that we're funding the pro- appropriately out of the general fund. Some may need more dollars oh. and some may need less dollars. I mean, you go back to that function. The, one of my pet peeves, Don, is that the DMV. The DMV, from what I'm told, is, is ancient. Their systems are outdated. It's a disaster, but they keep taking those fees and spending them somewhere else when it should be reinvested in there to bring it up to a modern to make it much more efficient and effective. I just want an example, and we're going to move, we may find the same thing, obviously, in the wildlife and fishery, you know, where we, where we need, to, need more resources now and maybe not as much later. We do that in business all the time. We reinvest in technology and training. That saves us dollars and cents down the road and makes us much more efficient. You know, efficient. It's Eddie, uh, you mentioned. Go ahead. No, that's it. Sorry. Uh, I was going to say uh, you've suggested that we need a constitutional convention. Uh, is there anything that would needed to be corrected with Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries or Department of Natural Resources or uh, DEA or any of our environmental agencies? Would that come under that? Do you find anything there that needs to be revisited? 
Don, I I couldn't answer that question. You know, I've been I'm an outsider, so I've this has been drinking through a fire hose for twelve months. Um, <laughs> it really has, as you can imagine. Maybe sometimes two fire hoses, but uh, we're going to get our hands around all of that and make sure that you know I've here I've picked up things. I know the Department of Health has a lot of waste in it. Everywhere I go, they. People tell me they have to deal with it. We are so inefficient there. We're wasting millions, literally hundreds of millions of dollars. You know, I haven't heard that with the Department of Wildlife and Fishery. And I've heard other agencies really can be improved, Department of Transportation, things of that nature. You know, we need to – I know one thing when we talk about the Constitutional Convention, we're going to protect our rights to hunt fish. We're going to protect our Second Amendments. You know, we're going to protect the unborn. All of those things that are dear to us, we're going to make sure that we that doesn't change. Uh, but we have to do some things different when it comes to the, our Constitution. Our Constitution is ten times the size of the U.S. Constitution. It's three times the size of the average Constitution around the country. And I've been told by, you know, like the Pelican Institute and other think tanks that <clears throat> it's not structured properly even. It's really a book of statues and not a true constitution. But we're going to protect the things that are precious to us. There's no question about that. That'll be in there. Eddie, I just got a couple of minutes. What would you like to say to the sportsmen of Louisiana who you're asking for their vote, what you will <laughs> offer to them coming in as a governor of the state? Well, I've been a sportsman all my life. I mean, I started following my dad around squirrel hunting, rabbit hunting since I was five years old, freshwater fish for the first 30-something years. And then since then, that's my age. I'm up there with you, Don. I've been fishing uh, saltwater now for 30-something <laughs> years and, and and do some duck hunting with my brothers and deer hunting. And I, You know, I'm a true outdoorsman. I bow hunt. I took up bow hunting at 65 years old. I should have known better. And... uh and so I have that passion, and this is, it's you know, it's our paradise. Louisiana is a sportsman's paradise. So it's, I'm going to make sure that we we do what's right to protect our right to hunt and fish. I think we need to do more of that. That's where we get children with, with their parents and their grandparents and their uncles and aunts and build that relationship. It's it's very, very, very important to me. Um it's it's something I done. I, I took up saltwater fishing because I could put all my children in the boat. Or we could, you know, I started by surf fishing. Eight or ten of us out on the surf. We didn't have boats. We couldn't afford them. So we're going to do that. The other thing is, it's very very important to early vote because I am an outdoorsman. I know I don't, you know, come November sixteenth, the weather's perfect. It's going to be hard to hard to hang around the house. So. I want them to vote early, and then on the 16th, if they hadn't voted, before you go get on that deer stand, before you go to a football game, let's go vote. And that's that's critical. We have an opportunity to elect someone that's going to bring a whole different approach, an outsider, someone that's conservative, someone that's got business skills, someone that's not beholden to special interests, particularly playing fraternities that are killing thousands of jobs and causing us to have the highest car insurance in the country, you know. So that's the message. We have an opportunity. Don, you know this. You yeah. know that we, we're we going to turn our state around. 
Eddie, thank you for being with us, and uh, best of luck to you on the campaign. I just want to let you know, uh, no matter how this turns out, uh, we offer this program as a tool for the Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries. The previous secretary made it a point once a month on Saturday following the commission meetings. He would come on the air, take his own personal time on a Saturday morning, and talk to the, the, the sportsmen of this state and let them know what the latest was going on and get some feedback. And I certainly want to make that offer stand for if you become our next governor, your choice for the secretary. Secretary. And, of course, the airwaves are open to you, too, if you'd like to come on and you have a, a message to get out to the sportsmen. Thank you so much, Don. appreciate you. Really do. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks again, Eddie. We appreciate you coming on. Good luck. All right, that's Eddie Rispone, candidate for governor, and the voting is opening up today, as a matter of fact. A big day is Election Day, but I know a lot of people hunting and fishing are going to be out of town, me included. I'll be in South Dakota during that time. So I'll get my vote in early. All right, coming up after the top of the hour sports update, we're going to talk duck hunter safety on the water. Paul Bernard, U.S. Coast Guard, joins us. And you'll hear from one man who was actually plucked from the marsh by a helicopter in a rescue operation. All coming up on More Outdoors. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.